point came up yesterday in our sharing exploration, which we didn't really go into that much, was around conformity, conforming, and uh, I think there are very big um, things in that for, for us who live in community and sense of discipline and so on. You know, and when it comes down to it, the meditation, having a meditation object, having a particular thing or something that one focuses upon, sense of you know persistence around a particular f- subtle form, you know, body, breathing, walking, whatever your meditation theme is, you know. and I think it's a. a so it's an area that, to, in my mind, can reaches inwards and reaches outwards, and uh, hopefully, if one clears or finds instead of conformity as a reference, we have harmony as a reference. Then, very much the same kind of benefits can occur, without perhaps the um, more negative effects. Generally, conformity's got a negative sense, sense to it, and it's kind of rigid. Um, one isn't really in it in the spirit, we're just in it in the letter. We're following rules, protocols, what we should be, and uh, that has uh, a deadening effect. Because it always, you're always referring to something that should or ought, it's externally based. Harmony is more internally sensed. Mm-hmm. And, but on, just to kind of colour that in, we'll add another tone. Of course, uh, form is something that happens. You know, we can't deny the existence of form, our physical form, you know, which uh, keeps coming back. Our form as a male, female, form as a being in something, certain sets of procedures and so forth. So, how does one try to find the harmony within it? And rather than just conformity. It actually is the big, one of the big issues of the, of the stream entra is called the attachment to forms, silapata paramasa, attachment to conventions and customs and so forth, mores. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's not, so it's a, it's a, it's a, actually is a major um, topic Um, also, at the end of our sharing, yes, they have a singing bowl, which is a, you know, a metal basin, and just kind of sounding it at the end of it. And generally, as you strike it quite gently, just a gentle strike, and then you keep rubbing it, this lovely sound comes out of it. And I like to sometimes just present that without saying very much as a sign of 
you know, there is a harmony that arises out of form, out of contact, out of impression, out of me doing something. <laughs> and there's this sense of attuning to the properties of the of the bell and you know, adjusting to the properties of the bell, not denying there is such a thing, but how we strike, how we rub it, how we listen in. And uh, realizing something like that, it actually is quite subtle because, you know, from an ordinary point of view, you take a bell and you bang it. You make more sound of it, you bang it a bit hard. It doesn't work with singing bells. Because you, have to, you can't not touch, strike them either. You've got to do it gently and then rub it and listen and feel what's happening through your fingers, fingers in terms of the trembling of the metal as it runs up the, the uh, striker into your hands. Yeah. And uh, of course, as with most everything, a lot of it's about uh, c- being clumsy and making mistakes uh, and, and trying to see how the mistakes get made. What's the common characteristic of them? One is that one prejudges what's needed in the way we have to prejudge. You know, you have to make a kind of crude judgment. I think that's what you know we will all do to some extent in entering uh, meditation, entering the holy life what we think we need, how we think we're going to do it, what we think other people want us to do, what we think the teaching's about, what we think isn't allowed. We work on that. And then really checking it out. You know, what, and you're checking it out. What really causes harmony? You know, what is harmony anyway? You know, what's the difference between that and conformity? You, know, you notice, certainly I notice with the, the bell, this lovely sense of it's almost effortless delight just the clear ringing that's happening you would say it by itself but of course the bell doesn't make it by itself but the the quality of of connection is just just right enough and you're with it but you're not thrashing away at it So just, you know, put that there as a perhaps how we meditate. You know, ideas, because everything really, you have to take it in as an idea, don't you? Whatever I say, whatever in the book, you read it, you hear it, you have to take that in as an idea. And so the idea isn't it. You know, it may you may hear the tone and the nuances, but actually, what you're listening for is your own arising of wisdom, of discernment, of getting it. Your own little resonance that there is such a thing. There is such a thing as an innate resonance. You tune into that. I think this is tremendously uh, wonderful when such a thing can occur. 
It can be the case that we don't even know there is such a thing. Or have lost touch with it because we've always just done what we thought. Done what we thought we should or is expected or needed. I never really... Do you get it? What does getting it mean? Cognitive understanding? Nope. Very simple things. So I was talking to somebody the other day and they're just saying what uh, the word mother means. I think we all know what that that means. But I didn't know what it, I didn't really know what it meant. I thought I knew what it meant because you have the idea, you have a human being. What's the resonance of something like that? You're not actually having that. And you may have things like trust. What do you think trust means? I mean, da, 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 da. Yeah, but do you get it? And it's good to know that perhaps what, that there is such, that we, when we don't get it, as I imagine most of the teachings, pardon me, you know, but perhaps that's the case. It can't, perhaps it can't be any other way. That you read it, you think it, one understands it, and yet, really, for a while, one hasn't got it. Maybe it's good to know that. So you don't end up following, following the label, you know, or if you like, if the, if the teachings like think, um, you know, medicine on a spoon, you don't end up swallowing the spoon and, you know, not really getting the medicine. Just to recognize there is such a thing as, as resonance, as harmony. I think to me this already is an enormous amount of suffering ends. This, I think this is what the, the, the stream mantra, you know, is someone who actually has that very clearly. Harmony with Dhamma, with uh, what does Dhamma mean? Careful now. <laughs> Go carefully now. Just to recognise, you know, we would use a word like unconditioned and what the Buddha was trying to make apparent for us was the noble truths are not ultimate truths. They are signposts. Mm. You pick them up, you chew them around. But... uh, you know, the main, I would say, one of the important bits being is that the deathless is unconditioned, it's, un, it's not made, it's not something built up. So when we consider it like that, something has to acknowledge, well, in some way, we might say it's already here, you can't make it happen. And I think perhaps it becomes 
more clear over time that you know actually the problem isn't that the deathless isn't here it's that I'm not here I'm off following sankharas chasing rabbits instead of staying on the ground and some of these sankharas use the Pali word is urgency programs, panic programs, fear programs, worry programs, should do programs, don't have, you know, rebellion programs, nobody to tell me what to do programs, I must be blindly obedient programs, you know, any of these things that make absolutes out of any statement you can recognize is what does it feel like if you're got you feel held, you feel pulled, pushed in some way or another. Mm. What does it feel like? And if we're looking at something that's about peace and ease, innate, What does it feel like when we say something like, you know, focus on breathing? What happens in that? Do you see the word like focus? (laughs) You know, the programming is is sometimes so reflexive, so instinctive, it just comes crashing in. You tighten up. Want to get somewhere. And that tightening up, yeah, you do get somewhere. You know, you get to all kinds of places, some of them quite interesting, maybe. All of them constructed. Always got to keep doing it, being it. Mm. But then you say, okay, well, don't focus. Then what tends to happen, can happen, is a sense of just random distractedness this, that, this, that, this, that it's blurred, I don't know how it is for you yeah. so we kind of find uh, we focus in a more random way on just things that are can catch us because in a way there is this uh, uh, this instinct to to sankara something to formulate something so we don't formulate form we formulate formlessness if we don't formulate conformity we formulate rebellion we don't formulate being in a group we formulate being on our own and all of these are formulations can you honestly say you're in a group can you honestly say you're on your own really totally impervious, unaffected, independent? Can you honestly say you're actually in something? You know, people coming and going, things changing, interests in it changing, fluctuating. Can you say you're in it? Can you say you're out of it? These are formulations. So then, you know, mind goes like, ah, what, what, what? So most of us have to hold on, clutch to this and that, at least temporarily, 
I would say. Just to get some way of at least understanding our mistakes. Being keen to know a mistake, not frightened of mistakes, not offended by mistakes, not guilty about mistakes. This, in a way, is the only way to learn. Finally, you learn about balance through what it feels like to lean over and feel the strain of it, feel the the tension of it. And you say, can it be possible just to release some of that a little bit? But you're still attentive, very attentive, tuned in, because you know there is such a thing as balance. Your body knows that, has a sense of it. And somewhere your mind knows that, somewhere underneath the thoughts, underneath the emotions, your mind knows that. If we could, if we could actually go to that place, if we could actually inquire or wait in that place for a little overtone, a little resonance of uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not being held, not holding on. It's called unsupported consciousness. So in one way the Buddha says there is this and even though we, we uh-huh, perhaps we don't we can't really get it or we might be someone who's calm or is fortunate enough to have had that sense perhaps we have had that sense at some times in our lives and that has in fact drawn us to meditate to the path some moment some intuition of something unsupported, blessed, sacred. So maybe we have had that. So one way the Buddha presents that is the doors, the deathless are open. You know, you might say that's the more comforting, inspiring sign and the other he's saying conditioned realm inconstant wavering unstable uncertain conditioned realm unsatisfying doesn't give you rest directly painful supportive of anguish and strain conditioned realms are can't be held as me, mine, or I am other than this. Make sure you get the other one too. So it's not about dropping out. If you formulate yourself as being out of it, that's another formulation. Another sankara. But when um, the word 
you know, the sense self doesn't actually, you know, really make sense. So the Buddha is to say, you know, this is subtle, perhaps. And it's again, it's 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 the one we can think we know, and get, but not really. It's a realization. It's not it's not a thought. It's a realization. It's not a perception. But I would say harmony is not bad. Instead of the resistances to the, what's called, what's seen as the other, or the holding on to what's seen as the other. Whether that's me and my mind, or me and you. <coughs> uh, and how that, uh, even on a very mundane level, if we operate moments like that, times like that, how uh, worthwhile life seems how truly treasurable it seems and how tragic it is that uh, good people can miss this through not listening being prepared to make mistakes with each other being prepared to learn from each other give each other little gestures of that wasn't this or this is that, you know. The fear of getting it wrong, the fear of being blamed, the fear of being attacked. Yeah, because of course this is kind of what happens internally, isn't it? When we, when we meditate, call it the inner tyrant. Mm-hmm. Getting it wrong is a painful experience, blame experience, or feeling of unworthy, stupid. You've heard this so many times, why can't you do it? Doesn't matter how many times one's heard it, really. You just got to keep rubbing that bell until you get the right tone. It's worth it. 20 years is not too long, it's worth it. And to realize the process, depending on one's karma, how deep embedded these patterns are, can be like that. So we start to just sense, even in working on a form of meditation and the frustrations or the making mistakes, how we mm, pause, relax, Take a break, rest. It's a moment by moment thing. And then, well, how is it now? Doing breathing. How is your breathing now? Just that kind of quality. Tell me about it. Yeah. Don't tell me about the mistakes. Tell me about the meditation <coughs> object. Now let's listen to it a bit more clearly. More. You know, if it's always going to be heightened with a sense of uh, praise, blame, winning, losing then that tension blocks one's hearing.
it's also appropriate to say that uh, with any system or form you choose Buddha gave the example of the skillful cook serves the king serves the king a meal stands back watches what food the king eats what food the king doesn't want to eat learns okay next day I won't put any of that on his plate I'll try this looks again was it just a passing mood or was it something he really wants to eat looks like he's gone for those beans again try it again Oh, it looks like that one works. Beans. He likes beans. <laughs> Not just on a one-off, but you recognise strong tendency to favour this. Okay, that's what you've got to go with. You know? So mindfulness is is that ability to pause and wait. Bear with, bear something in mind. Sampajanya, full awareness, the ability to receive and evaluate. I get it. Looks like that. Feels like that. Skillful cook. So when we present things in our minds, we present things in our day, we present things in our life, it's just, how does that feel? Mm -hmm. Didn't feel so good today doesn't mean it's bad, it means maybe just keep checking it out. And really, well, all you can say is, well, not right now. Moth beans. You know, if you, you keep doing that and you realise just, you just get rashes with beans, then you know, no beans. <laughs> Mostly it's recognising, well, later, or who knows, put it on the side. You make choice like that. So as we, as you want to be in harmony with, uh, who knows, spirit, dhamma, the way it is, what works, however you, what particular language you want to use for that. But what uh, occurs just in the resonance of a bell is you get a kind of, uh, oh, I say, um, you get a feedback, and you get a kind of what's called a, a field. So as we, you, know, you can have a field of hearing. So you ring the bell, listening, attention, you know that. It's a certain sense of it's the mind opens into a, it's a field of harmony. It's not an object. It's catalyzed by an object, it's catalyzed by a skillful attunement to an object, to a form, and then out of that, a field arises, just like um, your feedback loops, you generate a field, a magnetic field, electrical field, or a sense of sound, which seems to have a kind of global effect, and you tune into that.
And this really is where the sense of self doesn't work anymore. Actually, the sense of self is a kind of contraction in a field. It's a tightening up. It's a, you know, when you kind of take a position within that. Lesser than, better than, the same as. So the three forms of conceit. All we can know is there is this, it's a field of being, a field of becoming, a field of, of awareness, whatever. You know, you tune in. And then certainly, to my <coughs> limited sense, then this is um, where the samadhi makes sense. <coughs> As uh, you, you pick up an object, or whatever it is, you, you touch that, you listen to it, and the, the difference between samadhi and the way we would normally understand concentration, in my estimation is that concentration is, is holding a particular form and my experience is more like samadhi is more like tuning into a field which is enjoyment enjoyment and stillness so for example with the breathing in breathing out what can occur is as a bodily field arises the body energy harmonizes, tunes in, it's no longer nervy or stale or tense. And you just keep relaxing and opening and you know sensing into that bodily sense. You know, mind feels comfortable, it settles down, it starts to lose its edges and its pushiness and its ditheriness and its drabness. It tunes up to that. Body in a way gives it to the mind mind and then you say it gets unity occurs between body and mind there's a field effect it's not the mind is watching the body or the two kind of blend and that really samadhi means the unification bringing to you know things coming together not by being forced together or screwed together but actually by almost melting in to each other through through tuning in through harmony Mm-hmm. you can actually know not just have an idea of breathing in breathing or an idea of meditation just know it where it is settling for you where you want to watch it how you want to be with that what kind of attitude support it I only use I use breathing because it's it's a you know it's sort of main theme and it's easy to talk about it but you can widen that reference to any particular thing you do, walking, you know, just being in your body, having subtle meditation objects, whatever you use, it's fine. Um, and so the sense of that you know, is, enjoy- is enjoyable, still tends to lessen the passion the grasping, the fearfulness, the worry, the doubt, all the hindrances can drop away. And all that really remains is the tendency to cling to that particular subtle form, which again is can be very pernicious because the desire for pleasure, 
and the desire for stability is so strong for us that we will transpose those onto anything that can happen. <laughs> it just reflexes like that. You can't get around it. But you can begin to, you know, tune tune that in and really start to learn the mistake, the big mistake. You know, the deep mistake, the subtle but big and deep mistake. So now when you grasp the field, there is that. And it's not a mistake that I think one can just correct from the idea. You feel it out. And you feel, is it possible to be freer, to be more, less uh, contrived, less fabricated? It's more than a kind of an attitude of of uh, just cultivating, understanding what, what grasping really ex- is experienced at. We all know what grasping means. Nasty little thing, isn't it? Is it an idea? But it's the most subtle and beautiful thing. It's the most playful and obvious and natural thing. Uh, I think the Buddha used this language maybe to to heighten our awareness of its uh, of its frightened nature like a panicked child and some forms of grasping definitely obvious things you can kind of deliberately lever away but the habit remains until one is found or tuned into the security the deathless. And the Buddha said one reference he used for deathless Nibbana is Kema, the secure. Till you sense that, moment, even momentarily intuited that, then one is bound to grasp. So this isn't being sorrowful, it's just being pragmatic. And get to understand it. One thing that occurs, even when the fierce qualities of grasping have abated, is there's a mirror. The mirror of self occurs within it. Some kind of mirroring occurs. One is this, one is in this, one has got this, one has become this, what should one do with this? So, you know, there's, there's that sign again. You know, and then what's it like to walk through the mirror to let the mirror melt so one of the grasping at pleasure is perhaps easier to see grasping at security around is much less easy to see because it's so basic you know this is what every squirrel does every sentient creature will seek security in a conditioned thing it's a matter of life and death that comes first so we seek security in what we can do what we can make what we can have how we can perform how we feel other people think us what other people should be we we continually try to form ourselves find ourselves 
can't stop doing it, seemingly. Except through knowing the pain. The insecurity that security gives us. The fear of losing it. So I sometimes play with this myself. It's a dangerous game. You know, what do you do if the monastery blows up? Okay. What do you do if they ban Buddhism? Okay. What do you do if you lose a leg? No. How how strong? You know, what do you have to be forced to disrobe? Mm-hmm. Just touch, touch a few nerve endings, see what happens. And there's, you know, some of these things, you feel alarm, some of them doesn't really matter. Some of them, bluffing. And sometimes just touching that carefully enough, with enough warmth and compassion. Eventually, there can be a sense of, yes, even this, even so. Mm-hmm. And if you take if you think it's easy, you know, think it's easy to be independent and not attached, just play with that for a while. What are you going to do if you get hit by a car? What are you going to do if you get some ghastly sickness? What are you going to do if you get Alzheimer's? What are you going to do if your food runs out? Hmm? You think it's so easy? Suddenly, you know, I want an NHS, I want a hospital, I want someone to look after me. It ain't so easy. In the instance, what happens is what happens, isn't it? But you, in a way, this is just not trying to actually predict the future, you know, or create or paint a dismal future or an optimistic future. It's to know in the present these latent sankharas that glide along under the surface because they're never really challenged. So we just glide along with a dream that it's all, it's all the security's there, you know, the dream. So you think you're not attached to it because you don't feel a coarse grasping. It's just subtly structured in. So, you know, this this um, is not easily relinquished. 
one can't, shouldn't expect it to be easily relinquished. Painlessly relinquished. Or relinquished through some particular technique. Or relinquished by being a Buddhist. Or relinquished by being a monk or a nun. It ain't easy. But it is possible. And so in, in meditation, you know, in this uh, sacred space, making it sacred, leaving out the brutalities, the inner tyrants, the mavericks, the rebels, the crazy ones, the cocky ones, the doubtful ones, the fearful ones, all those menagerie of personae that haunt the mind. (laughs) Not itself a trifling (laughs) project. Just trying to see through the lattice of all those. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you resonant? Where is the resonance for you? You have it. It's only through tuning into that that we feel that amazing grace, something of where the effort, even the subtle efforts, can cease. And the uh, images recede. It's right where we learn that, actually, it's like right where the Sankara, the program is arising, there in a way is the, you know, that's where you, that's where you can sense it. And of course there are different programs, you might say, so, but your path, you, know, you actually tune into it, is, What's behind, you know, when we come to the Sankara's, the very sense of despair or belief, it's opposite. Mm. Right there, that in a way is, is, the, is the leaning over. Can you touch that, that sense of imbalance and gently release? Don't give up on yourself. Gently release. You, you'll come into balance, and it's often bits at a time, like you're just gradually undoing particular pieces of program, particular 
one reflex at a time, you might say. The have to, the can't, the, you know, those kinds of statements. You rightly feel the, the tightness of that. Can that be released? Can we wait with that compassionately? Can we breathe in and out with that? Can we widen and soften with that? And find actually right there at the point of the of the disaster, of the samsara arising, there's the possibility for release. Releasing one program isn't by any means the end of it, but at least you get some sense of, oh yeah, that's how it happens, and there is that. In a way, that that is the that's the stream entra. That's what has happened. They've they've sniffed it. They've sensed it. So there's a sense of real uncontrived faith, which doesn't require belief, confidence. And so the Buddha said, if you get this, this is like you've uh, cleared a mountain of programs. All that remains is a handful of fingernail polish, he said. So this is what, uh, as we process with our forms, our feelings about form and what it does to us, feelings about wanting, not wanting, senses, blind holding to it, right there possibility to learn something really transformative harmony